It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Here we are, another, another, another weekend, another Saturday and Sunday. Oh, my God, here we are. It's December. It's going to be Christmas before you know it, and then it's going to be 2024 before you know it, and then it's going to be crap. I <laughs> just... Here in Minnesota, uh, January and February, they are not even months that I even want to acknowledge because uh, yeah, we don't want to go there. Okay. Welcome to LD 2.0 Radio where we hi- highlight idealism and idealists, humans working for positive change in the world. That would be me as well as other people. Um, as usual, we have a great show. The big interview is with Hal Sansoni. He is the curator the creator, the director, and the producer of an all-transgender and non-binary human performer cabaret that is launching um, and only going to be this weekend and Monday in the Twin Cities. You're going to love how wonderful energy and um, unbountiful possibility. So you're just going to love that interview. And in my C block, I'm going to talk about my work, as I always do, as an idealist. However, in our A block, here we are right now, uh, let's, um, let's get to our this week's featured idealist. And it is someone all, I'm going to guess everyone who can hear my voice right now, someone all of you know. It is, I'm, I'm speaking of the one, the one and very only John Lennon. Yes, that John Lennon of the Beatles fame. Certainly in my book, John Lennon undoubtedly was an idealist. And I'm going to explain a little bit to you. I I don't have – I mean this would require hours and hours of talking about John Lennon because you could literally fill a whole day of talking about what John Lennon meant, what he accomplished, all of the nuances to his life, Okay, But in the little time that we have, all right, um, uh, symbolically, okay, now many of you know I am taping this show. I tape it on the Friday before the Saturday. Unless you happen to – I do it live like I did uh, last weekend. But otherwise, you get it um, 24 hours a little after I, I taped it. And so I am talking to you today, all right, on December 8th. Um, and uh, that's the day I'm taping this show. And December 8th also happens to be the day of the year that John Lennon was murdered um, by Mark David Chapman. And, um, and so it is the 43rd anniversary, okay, of John Lennon's murder in New York City. That's where I'm speaking to you right now. And obviously, um, as I said, I can barely talk about all that John Lennon represents, but here's a couple of cliff notes, Okay. John Lennon was born in a working-class neighborhood in Liverpool, England, in October of 1940. Now think about October of 1940. For my history buffs, you know that the Battle of Britain with Nazi Germany was going on at that time in October of 1940. Um, John's father, uh, he was a merchant seaman, and so he was out on ships, you know, trying to evade uh, Nazi U-boats. Um, and so uh, the father was not even there uh, when John Lennon was born. And he was away for much of John's early life and then they became estranged after that and they didn't see each other for 20 years. John's mother, Julia, 
um, had a variety of emotional challenges. And thus, for much of John Lennon's life, uh, his early life, he was raised by his mother's sister, Mimi. Now, think about all of this loss, okay? Um, And the loss gets worse because John Lennon's mother, um, who still stayed in touch with him and would see him on the weekends, I mean, there's still a close relationship. They were not estranged. But when John Lennon was 17 years old, his mother was killed in a car accident. Um, And so a lot of loss, a lot of emotional suffering, okay? Um, And by – you know, and maybe it's not surprising that by all accounts, as John Lennon was growing up, he uh, became that kid, you know, the kid who broke the rules. Uh, He was a class clown. Uh, He was the kid that parents said to their kids, stay away from him, okay? That's who John Lennon was, all right? And early on, uh, he had an interest in art and he drew for his high school newspaper and at one time I think that he was going to go to college and, you know, and become an artist. But along the way, his mother um, gave him a cheap electric guitar and that gift would help John at age 15 – form a band named the Quarrymen. Um, and the name for the Quarrymen, which I always wondered about, uh, was derived from the fact that he went to Quarry Bank High School in Liverpool. So the Quarrymen, Quarrymen, Quarry Bank High School. And after forming that band, okay, and, and they had not been playing very long, um, but John Lennon met Paul McCartney, okay, and then invited McCartney to be on the band. Very smart move, okay? And then McCartney uh, said, I've got a friend named George Harrison. He plays the guitar. And John Lennon at first was like, "Uh, you know, I'm not interested in this George Harrison guy. Well, um, Paul McCartney arranged for George Harrison to give an audition. Now, you understand, George Harrison, who is at the time only 14 years old, was giving an audition to somebody who was 18 or 19 years old. I mean, this is not like you were like working with somebody old in the music industry and doing an audition for, but, but uh, McCartney arranged for that audition, which George Harrison by, at least from what I could read, he, he did it um, uh, on the top of a bus. (laughs) I don't know how that worked. Okay. But uh, John Lennon said, okay, this George Harrison guy can join the band. And from there, the group booked a series of residences, still calling themselves the Quarrymen, in Hamburg. Um, and then it was only after in Hamburg they, they changed their name to the Beatles. Um, they had a manager by the name of Brian Epstein. And then, um, and then after being in Hamburg and after uh, performing there for months, um, they needed a drummer. And then along came Ringo Starr. Okay, so but by 1964... Uh, the Beatles uh, were a world phenomenon, and that phenomenon lasted – well, it's lasted even all the way up till now, of course. Um, but in terms of, as a band, it only lasted until 1970 uh, when the band broke up and each musician went uh, their own way. Now, you need to remember the rise of the Beatles um, against the context of what was going on in the world at that time. Okay, The Vietnam War – was raging, all right, the entire time that the Beatles were, were, you know, really getting their launch. And then there was a civil war in Nigeria where, you know, part of Nigeria tried to secede. It was called Biafra, and you may 
for my older listeners, you may remember about the images of children starving in Biafra. So it was a tumultuous time, um, not unlike what we have right now. Um, and John Lennon very much was a pacifist, okay? He did not believe in war. He did not believe in humans fighting with each other. And his goal was that we all get along. And so once he left the Beatles and he could totally turn on his imaginative juices, he came up with a song um, called Imagine, uh, which might even be the national anthem for idealists. Um, And it included uh, these lyrics. In in a second, I'm going to play you Imagine, okay, because we should. But here here, just think about these lyrics from the song Imagine because these are idealistic uh, lyrics. So part of the third stanza of the song is, imagine there's no countries, it isn't so hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Incredibly idealistic. I mean, this is, these words are music to my ears. And now, <laughs> okay, and now, um, we're going to play Imagine for you. And as you listen to it, okay, I want you to think about John Lennon, what he represented to the world, what he continues to represent today, and the fact that he was a huge idealist. Here we go with the song. Imagine no 
Ellie 2.0 Radio. So, of course, remember John Lennon, please. Okay? He went way, 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 way too soon. All right. Now for our big interview. I am thrilled, just absolutely thrilled to have Sal uh, – Hal Sansoni here. Uh, Hal is the the architect – the 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 spirit the passion behind this incredible thing that's happening this weekend the Trans Voices Cabaret at Mixed Blood Theater how welcome to Ellie Two Point Radio thank you Ellie glad to be here I Good am chat. I am thrilled to have you because you're my like my newest best friend yeah <laughs> yes yes <laughs> <laughs> you and I were together last week at yep. Mixed Blood as it turns out mm-hmm. for a, a Zellius Hellion interview and you were the interviewer mm-hmm. of me and yes. now I've flipped the tables on you okay <laughs> and um, I'm interviewing you and I absolutely want our audience to hear about the Trans Voices Cabaret tell can you Lay it out yeah. for us. Tell us what it is and and, uh, and 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 how they can go see it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the Trans Voices Cabaret is an event that started in 2017 in New York City. It's an all-trans and non-binary musical theater cabaret. Uh, since 2017, it's popped up across the country in Chicago, in Portland, in L.A., and we are doing now the Minneapolis version of it. All of them are independent productions with artists from the local community. So everyone working on the show, the technicians, the box office staff, the designers, the performers, the accompanists are all trans and non-binary. And it's, yeah, it's an all ages show. It's super fun. It's super uplifting. Um, and also it just, it, it, we're able to feel through a lot of things in the space, but the way it's going to be at Mixed Blood Theater, uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So that's the 9th, 10th, and 11th. There's a show at 7 p.m. every day, and as well as a matinee on Sunday at 2 p.m. And you can find the show by Google. If you look up Sandbox Theater, you'll find us on the social media um, platforms as well as on Sandbox's website to find the ticket link. Sandbox Theater. Okay, but it's actually playing at Mixed Blood Theater. But it's playing at Mixed Blood Theater. Yeah, so the, the show is at Mixed Blood Theater being produced by Sandbox Theater. So okay, a lot All right. of theaters to keep track of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if anybody just Googles um, Trans Voices Cabaret Minneapolis, they'll be yep. able to find it as well. That too, yep. So tell me, what is, you know, give us the, 
kind of the background about why this is important. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and then let's, you and I have a discussion about what's going on in America right now and even in yes. Minneapolis as it relates to trans people. But go ahead. Why, why is yeah. this important to have this? And, and hold on. One other thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Al. Yes. I'm throwing all these questions at you. Oh, yes, gosh, Al. Um, when you say cabaret, we've got like multiple different songs, right? Give us an yes. idea of what uh, yes. the troupe will be playing. Yes. So when we say cabaret, it means we got 10 performers who are doing songs from a variety of musicals. It's, it's not, there's not like a plot. It's, it's um, a, a t- more of a tapestry of voices and uh, there's some duets. There's a finale number. There's classic musical theater. We have Sondheim. We have some Disney. We have some uh, local composers songs in the show. Our accompanist is a composer and is singing an original song. So it's, it's really a tapestry of voices and songs that we have brought together and do that we, we're seeing. Do we have any dancing? Not a, no dancing. Well, well, actually, that's not true. There's some some of our performers have added a little choreography, and it's a lot of fun. And okay, it's, it, it makes it very delightful. But we, you know, everyone's acting, and there's a lot of character to it, and, and a little bit of dancing. But it's mostly it's more of a concert format. In okay, a way. okay. Um, and and why now? You know, on the surface, it's 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 like oh, we're just singing some musical theater songs, <laughs> but in reality, um. I am used to, as a theater artist, if I'm in a space, I am the only trans person there 99% of the time. So working on a show where everyone involved directly is trans or non-binary is a really unique experience as an artist. But also as a trans person, we don't have a lot of spaces where it is that many trans people in a room like working on something to come together. Um, It's also important because as we're seeing in the world right now, there are, we've had over 550 anti-trans bills proposed in 49 states just this year. And a lot of those bills have to do with trying to legislate us out of existence in the public sphere. And so doing something like a cabaret, like theater, where we're getting on stage, we're commanding attention in a public way and saying, we will not hide. We are going to be present in the world. And this is an, we, we want everyone to come and see this and be with us in this is really important right now to say like, uh, to, to push back on those, those voices that don't want us to exist in a public way. Uh, we So, in a, you know, this is a show that's by trans people, for trans people, but it's for everyone. And I, I really believe it's good for all of us to be supporting and seeing trans people exist and saying, yes, that is what I want to see. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on being the only trans person in the room. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's you know. really common. <laughs> yeah, and a really common experience. <clears throat> a lot of times. I think that we, let's also acknowledge, um, as you talk about um, the anti-trans push that's mm-hmm. going on across America, and even though here in Minnesota, uh, you and I um, enjoy a plethora of rights in a variety of ways – um, even here in Minnesota, um, violence against transgender people um, still occurs, and and, mm-hmm. and and we should acknowledge that there was a transgender woman, Savannah Williams, who's 38 years old, a black transgender woman who mm-hmm. uh, was murdered this week mm-hmm. um, on the street, and um, and of course, black trans women in particular are often the targets of anti-trans mm-hmm. hatred and, and violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what... And, and I guess 
I mean, we couldn't, I'm going to guess that you probably couldn't do the Trans Voices Cabaret um, in Florida right now or in Tennessee or, you no. know, yeah. um, in yeah. God knows half more than half the country. How does that no, make you feel? For real. Makes me feel sad. You know, it makes me feel, you know, losing also a community member this week, even in a state that is a trans refuge state. I mean, it's it's just it's always senseless. You know, I have a mentor who recently wrote a book, a poetry book. It's called Transitory. And I'm reading a poem from this book in the show about all of the trans people we lost in 2020. There was like nearly 50 trans and gender nonconforming people murdered in 2020. And so this is, you know, it's by far not an uncommon. It's, it's part of it's sort of an ever present ghost in the trans community is what I say. Um, yeah. And it, it's senseless, but I also, you know, I want to acknowledge that the life and the love of, of Savannah Williams as well, and that that's an important part to lift up and, and to the point of, of, um, you know, yeah, not being able to do it other places. I mean, there's in, in states where there's drag bands, the rule is about, you know, just if you're wearing clothes of the opposite sex. So it's like the fact that I am, you know, I'm in a pink sweater, so it's not a good example, but like if I'm wearing men's clothing like that, you know, or any of the performers on stage are wearing clothes that align with their gender, but other people decide it doesn't look right, like that could get us in trouble. Um, and I think it's even more needed in the places like that where it's banned. And so, it, you know, it makes me feel um, sad, but I also feel invigorated and it, it does light a fire under under me a little bit you know i i'm a little bit like oh you say we can't exist in public look at us go <laughs> like you know i i i get a bit of a um uh stubborn spirit in me when that when that comes yep, up yep. um you know even more so that we're needed in public space now so 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 to the extent that you're comfortable okay because mm -hmm. i know that my audience is going to want to have some idea can you tell us a little bit about you yeah. You know, uh, to, again, to the extent that you're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I use he, him pronouns. I'm a theater artist. So I, for this show in particular, I'm directing, I'm co-producing the show, but I'm also performing. I am primarily an actor in the theater world uh, and a performer. I also am a love poet. I write poems. I have a, a small poetry book coming out with Ethel Zine soon called Winter Garlic. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I write. I'm also an herbalist in training. So I also work with plants. And I, I've been treating everyone in the show with like, oh, you banged up your knee? Go go, go put this on your knee, you know? And so I, I do a little bit of, a lot of it though revolves around care and around community and around how to... Uh, bring people together and to heal and be, be relating to each other in a way that feels supportive and honest and good is, is a lot of what I do. Now you didn't grow up though here in Minnesota. You're, you're, mm -mm. you're from Wisconsin, right? And, yes. Yes. You know, and, and, and your story is not uncommon for so many people because, you know, I left Iowa um, for mm -hmm. the safety of Minnesota you know, yep. and particularly the safety of the Twin Cities. And um, uh, uh, we've got a little cat in the picture here. We've got that's, a cat who's that's, joined. He's, that, he needs attention. Apologies. That, that's okay. Don't worry about it. So, you know, I mean, of your, of your cabaret, okay, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to identify any particular person, but are, are many of them also 
you know, refugees. I mean, people who have had to leave some other place in order to some come, of us, yeah. come and live as who they really are. Yes, yes. I mean, it's not an uncommon experience. You know, I've been finding out more about the cast. Like, I know some people come from other states in the Midwest. I know we have a handful of folks who are from Texas originally. Um, and then there's some folks who are from here. I know we have a someone working who is from Tennessee originally. Yep. But it's definitely not uncommon, especially you see people from the Midwest and also even the South, um, even before the anti-trans bills kind of making their way to Minnesota because we have this history of um, activism, of legal work, of healthcare here in Minnesota and in the Twin Cities. I mean, for a long time, the Twin Cities was one of the only places you could get gender-affirming healthcare. Um, Right. And there were two coastal places and then Minnesota. And so you see that that history is here and people have known that, but you're seeing it increase with with the the anti-trans bills. I know people who have become some of my new friends like fled from Alabama, fleeing from Florida, fleeing from Texas, fleeing from other states in the Midwest. It's increasing right now, which is another reason the cabaret um, feels important, because if you have trans refugees fleeing here from these states where they're leaving because they feel unsafe, I want to have a space, again, that's public that says, look, we're not hiding here. And you can come be in community with people like you and also people not like you who say yes to trans people and have said yes to this show because it's taken a lot of people to do this. It wasn't just me who put this together. A lot of people. Um, I'm trying to emphasize that, too. Like so many people had to say yes for the show to happen. And right. that that's a good feeling, you know. It goes against the narrative of what we're seeing on a broader scale right now, that people don't want us to exist when actually look at all these people who do, trans and not trans. So, Well, and and tell me, because you've gone to a lot of work to get the cabaret mm-hmm. up and, and running, mm-hmm. um, what, what do you want to do after this weekend? Do you want to bring yeah. it back um, at another you – you and I talked. I, I told you that I would love to have you come out to Carver County. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we've got the Chanhassen Dinner Theater, although I don't have any connections there, unfortunately. But <laughs> but it would seem to me that that would be a perfect place um, for, you know, for you. Um, um, but of course, I can't speak for the Chanhassen Dinner Theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but what are your plans after this? Are you, is it just going to go away or are you going to try and preserve the cabaret? You know, that is TBD right now. I mean, I've had people asking from the beginning, like, are you doing it again? Like, I'm like, we're not even in rehearsals yet. <laughs> like, So I think there's definitely interest for something like this to continue. And I know from being in the room, I think there's interest, especially with other trans artists to keep doing stuff like this because we don't have a lot of spaces where we can work together in this way. So I'm hopeful that some, whether it's the cabaret or it's another all trans theater production. um, I also do other forms of like I do Shakespeare. So I've been Hmm. like, what if we do an all trans Shakespeare show, two shows in rep together, or what if we do another cabaret and, um, but continuing to work together and make these explicitly all trans shows is absolutely on the table. What form that takes is to be determined. We'll see, you know, it depends on what the interest is and how this goes. And so um, if this is something you're interested in, definitely come out and support us because that's going to inform, you know, how things take shape in the future. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how, you know, um, um, obviously you're, I mean, I got to know you last weekend as well. I mean, you're very passionate. Um, you're a younger human, and I'm really grateful for you being so passionate as a younger human 
in, within the community who's not afraid. And so do you can, you know, this show here, uh, LE 2.0 radio is about idealism and, mm-hmm. and about people working to make positive change in the world. Um, do you consider yourself an idealist? And if so, um, what, what made you that way? How'd you get there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, when, when you sent me this question, I was thinking about it because I've never used that language for myself, but I definitely fit within well within the umbrella of what idealism means. I think for me, it's um, I have a very strong sense of hope and I really try to cultivate a sense of hope and a sense of stay. I, I've been thinking a lot about how do I stay in love with the world? How do I keep mm-hmm. falling in love with the world? And to me, there's some idealism in that. But there's also a very practical element um, in there for me. Of I, The world is, there's a lot going on. We talked about even just in the past 15 minutes, some of the terrible things happening to trans people, even in our backyard. And if I just let myself stew in that, I would own, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, <laughs> you know, or, and that doesn't right. mean I'm not, I'm not acknowledging it. And so I guess to answer your question about how I got there is, you know, I'm someone who, I'm fairly young, but when I was even younger, like I had a lot of rage, a lot of anger, and it was burning me out. And ultimately it was masking that I was really sad. I had a lot of grief about what I was experiencing, about what I was seeing in the world, about things I'd experienced from a young age and things I'd experienced as an adult. And it was, it's very heavy to hold, I mean, all that grief. And I still, you know, live with that grief and I still acknowledge it and I'm in it. And the balance to that for me is cultivating this sense of hope, cultivating love for others and for the world. And so I, I think, you know, the way I got there was truly is, is, is the grief element. You know, I've become an idealist, not, not from some naive place about the world being um, perfect or the world being only all good, um, but from I, I've, I've gotten there more so from understanding that the world's a hard place to be, and so how how can we imagine what else is possible? Um, and and that that possibility is something I cultivate, and that that also comes from being trans. Like I didn't know trans people existed till I was eighteen. I didn't know that I could one day be twenty seven years old and living as a gay man. I thought that was impossible. And like here I am. <laughs> and so so my my sense of being my my one of my definitions of being trans is that impossible things are possible. And so that that really informs the idealism too. I'm like, well well okay like if I, if I could be out here living as a gay man and I like what else is possible <laughs> you know and so that, that, that. <laughs> um, you know I I, I yeah. mean how you just warmed my heart though because yeah. I love the optimism I love absolutely yeah. the energy yeah. you know and I love that I love that you've got you know you've got really great perspective because obviously going you can get to the heart through the arts Mm-hmm. You can. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, um, right before you came on, we we played, you know, Imagine by John Lennon. I mean, yeah. you, all you have to do is sit and listen to that song yes. just even once. And it touches yes. your, you know, it touches your heart. And, and it's through, you know, it's only my, you know, this is now we're bordering on my work, which is the only way that we're going to get change is to inspire people. Mm-hmm. to think differently and to act differently when you order them and it just, it doesn't work. Yes. So, yes. you know, you, you're going to inspire with this show. I think a lot mm-hmm. of hearts to, to open, 
you know, that maybe they haven't viewed the trans world, you know, trans people as broadly as they should or as kindly as they should or whatever. Um, Tell us again about the show so that I've got, I know I've got audience members that are going to want to come. So give them the, give them the details again. Yeah, so details again. Uh, it's the Trans Voices Cabaret, Minneapolis. We're performing at Mixed Blood Theater on December 9th, 10th, and 11th. That's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. There's a show at 7 p.m. every day of the run. We also have a matinee on Sunday at 2 p.m. We have a live stream on uh, Sunday night as well. Sunday night is also ASL interpreted. You can find tickets by... Googling the Trans Voices Cabaret Minneapolis. We're on Instagram. Our tickets are on Ticket Leap. You can also find us on the Sandbox Theater website who is producing the show. And people are going to ask, what's the range for the ticket prices? Just so yes. I have some idea. Ticket prices are sliding scale. They're anywhere from $20 to $50. We have some economic accessibility tickets available for $5. And we have free tickets available for trans and or BIPOC, um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color who price may be a barrier for. So those are available as well. Okay. All right. Well, Hal, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And I'm just thrilled that you were on my show here. Um, I wish you the best with your run this weekend. I'm going to try and make it. Right now I've got some Mm -hmm. conflicts, unfortunately, um, but I'll see if I can work around those. Um, And uh, But I know that it's going to be a huge success and I hope that the cabaret continues to live on in one form or another, okay? Because yes. I think the concept is great. The idea that it's all about trans people or non-binary folks, you know, for that space, just a wonderful, wonderful concept. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for having me today. It was good to talk to you too. And I hope to see you this weekend. Well, okay. Yes, Hal. And, and just good luck, okay? And break a thank leg. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. We've been speaking with Hal Sansoni, who is the curator, the the producer, the director, and the performer of Trans Voices Cabaret that's going to take place this weekend. Please make sure that you go and you go check it out. And 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 I, I'm. It's not a big theater, so make sure you get your tickets. Okay. All right, Hal, take care, and we'll be talking to you some other time, all right? Cool. Thanks, Ellie. Break a leg. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. We're back. LA 2.0 Radio, I told you that you would like, maybe love, uh, Hal Sansoni and the Trans Voices Cabaret. If you get a chance, please go at Mixed Blood Theater, courtesy of Sandbox Theater. It's got that uh, arrangement. Um, I'm going to try and make it. Like I said, I have some conflicts right at the moment. Um, but uh, please support it, you know, um, and just – it's just a wonderful idea. Okay, C Block here. Here I am to talk with you about um, my work as an idealist. And so yesterday, um, I did my very last gray area thinking training of the year, <laughs> unfortunately. 
I did, and and I do not have, as I sit here right now, I do not have another gray area thinking scheduled for anywhere, anyone, until uh, March. I cannot, I cannot even tell you, um, begin to explain to you how that breaks my heart. That may be one of the longest stretches I will have gone without doing that talk in maybe a decade. I don't know. And um, and not to whine, um, but I will do a little bit of that. I mean, this is reflective of the anti-wokeism that's going on in America right now. It is. I'm getting fewer and fewer inquiries. I can see the traffic on my website going down. Um, it's not because of the quality of the work, which I'll explain in a second, but people are afraid and they don't want to do the work. They just don't they just don't know how to handle the one or two people that are gonna complain about, you know, this stuff. Why are you having us go and do this stuff? Why are you bringing this stuff to our organization or to our community? And rather than deal with that, which uh, takes a bit of courage, okay, people are just like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, we're just not going to do it. And so it is incredibly saddening to me, particularly because gray area thinking does work. It's a tool set on how to be welcoming to people who are different or other compared to us. It is filled with ideas about compassion and kindness and taking some risks and all of that stuff. And the And the talk – the learning opportunity, which is a phrase I'm trying to use more often now, touches people. It does. So, you know, yesterday I'm, I trained a large governmental agency here in the Twin Cities. We had only like 20 people in the room, but we had almost 100 online. And, uh, you know, it's a two-hour talk, two-hour learning opportunity. People loved it. They did. I mean, as it was winding down, I said goodbye. I on the web, you know, on the WebEx, you could see these comments from people, and I'm not exaggerating, okay? But comments from this is the best training I've ever gone to. I, you know, this so touched me. You know, I can't. You know, I, I just, and and I had a woman come up to me after the training, after the learning opportunity yesterday. Um, woman, I guess in her late fifties, maybe early sixties. Uh, she um, was holding back tears. It was so obvious. And then she talked about um, a recent suicide of someone that was incredibly dear to her. And she lamented about the fact that that person who was apparently incredibly kind to all other humans, compassionate to all other humans, she lamented about the fact that that person who had taken their life wasn't compassionate to themselves and, and felt so sad about that. But what Gray Thinking did was reinvigorate for this woman, the suicide survivor, um, the idea that all humans, you know, have the capacity for compassion, that we all have good hearts. That's something I talk about in Gray Area Thinking. And um, <clears throat> it just... It just reinforced for me but also frustrated me at the same time that this is good work, that this work is valuable, that this work, gray area thinking and other things that I do, that it, that it actually does touch people and maybe gets them to think differently. I mean I just got done – we just got done talking with Hal Sansoni about you know, the, the power of song 
and how it can touch people's hearts and open those hearts. Well, that's what gray area thinking does. And the frustrating thing for me is I'm not getting any younger. I have no idea how many more gray area thinkings I'm going to be able to get to do in the world. And it's so incredibly frustrating because it works. It does work, you know, and I fear that my I fear that my work will fade away um, and that it will be lost. And, and that is just – I've got to tell you that is incredibly weighing on me right now. You know, and, and, and you know, on a personal side, of course, this is about me trying to feel as if I matter uh, to the world and as if I – you know, am I making a difference in the world? I mean with my personal story, which we're not going down that road, I mean I need to make some sense – out of all the loss and the grief um, that I experienced and me transitioning caused other people's to experience. And so, I mean, my overall thing has been, can something good come out of all of this? And yesterday was proof that something good can absolutely come out of that. And so I, I just, I, I, I cannot even begin to adequately explain the frustration that I'm having about all of this and the fear that, you know, this fear is translating into other people not being able to experience what the folks at the uh, Department of Human Services experienced yesterday. So not that I'm anybody great, okay? I just, I'm just, just a trial lawyer using old trial tricks to get people to pay attention and maybe to, to sway them the way that they think. Okay. All right. Now, listen. Um, the last talk of the year. Okay. So that was last gray area thinking. I'm going to give the last, very last talk of 2023 on Sunday at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Bloomington. It's going to be the talk is Gleaning Authenticity, which is partly about authenticity, partly my story. It's going to be from 1045 to 1145 a.m. on Sunday, the 10th at Christ the King Church in Bloomington. Public's invited. You can come. There's no charge for that, of course. And so um, if you want, come, you know, and if you do come, uh, say hello to me afterwards or beforehand. All right, I got to go. A big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who's had to yet again do a lot of math for this show. Thank you, Patrick. You always do great. To you, my listeners, thanks for tuning in. Please share about the show. And between now and the next time, okay, you hear my voice, will you do me a favor? Will you go out, do something to make the world a better place? Express compassion and kindness to another human or group of humans. Will you do that for me? Please. All right, Ellie Krug, over and out.